Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. It is great to be back with you, and uh, something that Tim just said is very true for every time we visit here. Uh, we are deeply encouraged, and uh, it's so good to be back with you. Andrea and I feel like this is our home, away from home, uh, and we have pretty solid attendance here via the podcast, so uh, feel like we're very much a part of this family, and we love to see what God is doing in this church, um, and we love your pastors, and I should probably just tell you instead of say it about you, Tim and Christy, I love you, and uh, you're, you're some of the most enriching relationships to Andrea and I, I'm so thankful and uh, grateful for your leadership and your hospitality when we were able to come here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Today's passage is one that reveals Paul's motive for ministry, and uh, this passage is inspiring and challenging to us today as we see Paul answering his critics as people were uh, curious as to how this man was ministering in the early church. So, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start with verse 11 and go from there this morning. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Anybody relate to that? If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Don't you love this gospel, 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 gospel? Every time Paul speaks, it's gospel. He is saying we are called to reach the lost on behalf of Christ, and that is going to require both proclamation and persuasion. The proclamation here is that Christ died, and Christ resurrected for all, and therefore all died with him. And this is not uh, new language because Paul would often describe dying with Christ as part of our salvation. Maybe you're familiar with Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer what? Live, but Christ lives what? In me. The life I now live in the body, this temporary shell, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So that's the proclamation. The persuasion here is Paul imploring others to believe his message, even though he looked a little bit crazy. Some of his lifestyles, many of his words just sounded bizarre. And to his opposition and to his critics in that day, he was begging them, walk by faith. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. And we know that the church at this point, the church was caught up in all sorts of theological disagreements. And so Paul had work to do. This is why he wrote things like circumcision means nothing. What counts is the new creation. And by grace you have been saved through faith, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he wrote, no one is justified before God by the law. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. 
So Paul's theology was fixed. He knew what he believed, but he wanted the entire church to be on board. And why? Because the entire church had work to do. And we see in verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, do you love how Paul starts with this statement, so from now on? So from now on, this implies a huge change, a radical shift in perspective from now on. And I was thinking about this this week and was inspired in my own life. Uh, Andrea and I have four children. Oh, so there are approximately 137 shoes in our home that belong to our children. And out of the 137 shoes, and that's an odd number, I'm, I'm aware of that, it's because we lose shoes. And I don't know how we lose shoes when shoes go on feet, and they're supposed to just go from the feet to the closet. But out of the 137 shoes in our house, probably 94 are, you know exactly where they are, right? They're right in the middle of the walkway, <laughs> right where we trip and fall and stub our toe, because they just don't pick up their shoes so I was inspired to have a talk this week. From now on, I've had it. You're going to pick up your shoes. Matter of fact, from now on, I don't even want to have to say to you to pick up your shoes. From now on, if you want me to buy you shoes, you will pick up your shoes or you won't have shoes at all. It's this from now on moment as a parent. Can any parent relate to this where you've had to look at your kids and say, listen to me, young man, young woman, from now on, things are going to change. This was Paul's tone with the church. From now on, there's going to be a radical change, a shift in our perspective. From now on, we're in a new era brought about by Jesus Christ. He lived and he died and he resurrected and he's ministering to us through his spirit. From now on, we're going to live differently. We're going to see things differently than we've ever seen them before. From now on, we're not going to look at anybody and regard them uh, from this worldly point of view. So what's the opposite? What is Paul saying? You're going to see one another with a kingdom view. We're going to view all people in the light of their participation in Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. From now on, this is how we're going to live and interact with one another in the body of Christ. And then he kind of tosses out this hallmark verse with enormous implications. I don't know. Okay, see, are you ready for this? Yeah. You've heard it before, but it ought to move you in your chair a little bit this morning. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, from now on, we're going to live differently. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say in Christ, in Christ. the new creation, say new creation, new creation, has come. The old is gone and the new is here. You can say amen if that means something to you this morning. Paul asserted that every person who is in Christ, who is joined to him in his death and resurrection, has become a new creation. Total transformation. We just sang just a minute ago the lyrics, his blood th flows through my veins, right? We are a royal priesthood. We have the blood of Christ alive in our veins. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Have you ever just sat and pondered this? 
Tim, can I come sit down by you and give him 10 minutes? I mean, we ought to sit down and think about this all the time. Lord, what does it mean for me today to live in Christ Jesus? Well, I brought a few examples with the help of God's word. What does it mean to be in Christ today for you? You were given grace in Christ Jesus before the world was created. 2 Timothy 1.9. God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. Is this waking anybody up today? If this doesn't excite you, if this doesn't set you on fire, I've heard maybe your wood is wet. So come on, wake up this morning. In Christ you have been redeemed and forgiven for all your sins. Ephesians 1.7. God has raised you up and seated you in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 6. All the promises of God find their yes for you in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1, 20. You are sanctified and made holy in Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Just let that pressure fall off of you today. You don't have to be holy in yourself. You don't have to come up with the strength to be, to be sanctified. God, God sanctifies you in Christ Jesus. God's going to supply your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. The peace of God is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 7. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Romans 6, 23. In Christ Jesus, you will be raised from the dead at the coming of our Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And nothing living or nothing dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Romans 8, 38 and 39. That's what life is in Christ Jesus. In Christ, this union, which we know is through faith alone, Colossians 1, this union is the ground of everlasting joy for you and for me. And guess what? It's free. It's absolutely free. Everything out there in the world that you want, you got to work hard for, don't you? You don't have to work for this union with Christ. You have to believe. You have to step out in faith. God has already done the heavy lifting. All you have to do is believe. That's what it means to be in Christ. Now, what does it mean, this idea of new creation? Because those who are in Christ are a new creation. And this is difficult for some people to grasp because I don't want to take off the old and just assume it's gone forever. I'll go hang it in the closet and get it back out for later, right? But instead, we're a new creation. The old is gone. Becoming a Christ follower, it's not just about eternity. It's not just eternal implications of one day you're going to dwell in the presence of God forever. But it has implications. It, it involves daily transformation right here and right now, not cosmetic changes. This isn't a new hairdo. This isn't a new jacket. This isn't something new that comes and goes. This is new unity. This is new love, new joy, new peace, new hope, new direction, new ambition, new priority, new self-control, new strength, new commitment, new perspective, new ways of thinking. This is the newness 
that we experience in Christ. The original language is kainos. It expresses fresh, unused. Hello. You following this? A new creation in Christ Jesus is this fresh, unused, original creation. One of the closest ways that we can come to explaining this in the natural world that we can understand is the process of metamorphosis. And maybe you're unfamiliar with this, so check this out. Within the process of metamorphosis, the caterpillar begins as an egg. After hatching, it has one focus, and that's to eat and eat and eat like like a teenager. And when it matures, it starts to spin a silken pad called a chrysalis around its body. What happens in this cocoon is a profound mystery. All of the cells, listen to this, all of the cells of this caterpillar turn off. All of them. One by one, they shut down. The larva slowly dissolves from its former worm-like state into an unrecognizable substance. Once it fully dissolves into this gooey substance, you know what happens to it? It dies. It's dead. It's gone. And within this liquid substance, dormant, inactive cells activate. They turn on. They begin to work. And these new cells begin to build wings and legs and eyes and so on. According to biologists, the change from caterpillar to butterfly is the creation of a new creature. You are a new creature. See, I think the greatest and most astounding creation of God, and and many may argue it's the creation of the universe out of nothing or the stars in the galaxy or the Himalayan mountains, the greatest creation of God, the depths of the ocean, the lunar eclipse, right? The Amazon rainforest, the Grand Canyon, the rhinoceros, the platypus. I don't know. We were in Australia last month, and I saw a platypus for the first time, like a real live platypus. It's the most bizarre thing. It was a spiritual experience. God, what were you thinking, right? One could argue many things are the most astounding creation of God, but I think it's human life, but it doesn't stop at human life. It's taking an old sinner and producing a new saint through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are his greatest and most astounding creation today. So what do we do? What do we do then with this new identity? Because we could walk out the door today. I'm a new creation. That feels good, right? What do we do with this identity of newness, new creation in Christ? Well, Paul continues in verse 18. All this is from God. This invitation to salvation, this newness in Christ, this new creation is from God who what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ. But it doesn't stop just in that reconciliation. What happens? He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How many of us have a hard time living in the newness of Christ because we're tripped up by our sins? We're tripped up by our past. We're chained down uh, by, by our shame. 
and by our guilt. Listen to me. Don't be crucified by these crosses, right, of, of, of the, the past mistakes you've made or the fear of the future. Live right now and be present in the newness, the identity that you have in Christ Jesus. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, because of all of this, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Can you feel the weight of this this morning? Do you live with this weight every single day? That God is making his appeal through us to the world. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul's role in the divine plan of reconciliation led him to this remarkable claim. He and his company, as well as you and you and every single one of you here today who are in Christ Jesus, a new creation, you are to serve because of this identity in Christ. You are to serve as his ambassador. Let that sink in. God is counting on you. Not to live a perfect life. He already took care of that. God is counting on you to be an ambassador of the message of salvation, ambassador of Christ in the service of reconciliation. When you leave this place on Sunday, you're walking into your ministry. You're walking in as an ambassador to your community, to your neighborhood, to your city. You have the ministry of reconciliation. And this is critically important. Paul is impressing upon the Corinthians his divinely appointed status as an official representative of Christ. And then he urged them, participate. Participate in this ministry of reconciliation. You are called to impress upon Oklahoma City your divinely appointed status as an ambassador, as a representative of Christ Jesus. You are called to do this. And you are called to be this. And what is your message? Be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. When the lost are reconciled, they receive the Spirit, right? When they receive the Spirit and in Christ, they are made righteous and cities transform. Neighborhoods awaken. Children come to know Jesus as Lord. New leaders in the church rise up. When people become a new creation, God's mission in your city is a reconciling endeavor, 100%. Christ's saving work on the cross is sufficient for every single human being, but only for those who believe. But how will your waiter at lunch today or your assistant or your boss at work or your neighbor call on him to save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? This is our shared ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And it's difficult. There's a lot of gray in it. It's unique to every single relationship, every single context. Andrea and I have a cul-de-sac that we live on. There's 18 kids. I said I had four earlier. Many times I got seven in my house and none of them are mine. It's crazy. 
And we have some families in our cul-de-sac who have started coming to our church, and they're walking with the Lord. We have an agnostic who jokes around with me and says, you know, don't brainwash my family. We're not going to stand for this. We're not going to believe this. We got a 70-year-old man who's never been to church, and he never misses a Sunday now. He still, you know, drinks 25 PBRs a day and cusses like a sailor. But I'm telling you, like this guy, he's coming to know Jesus as Lord. He's coming to know Christ as his redeemer. So every context, every relationship, you can't walk in to every single context and say the same thing, love the same way, speak the same way. You got to depend and lean on the spirit. We have to be intentional in our approach as ambassadors of Christ. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the church doesn't always have the greatest reputation. You aware of that today? Every once in a while when we throw a big event, we give a bunch of families candy. They, they love the church, right? Or a natural disaster hits somewhere in the world and the church rallies together and comes up with unlimited resources. We do a lot of good things. I get that. But we don't have the greatest reputation all of the time. One author spent three years, three years, polling millions of young unchurched people, asking them, what are your thoughts on Christianity? Young, unchurched people, what are your thoughts? Do you know what the top six responses were in his research? Number one, judgmental. Number two, hypocritical. Number three, homophobic. Number four, too political. Number five, insensitive. And number six, boring. I know you're not proud of the Capital C Church for carrying that kind of reputation in our communities of young, unchurched people. Is it possible? Is it possible that they're a little accurate in their opinion? Can we be humbled by this research? Is it possible that our approach has been a little judgmental, hypocritical, homophobic, political, insensitive, boring? Is this possible? Maybe so. I get it. You're not going to have a whole lot of luck if you walk in tomorrow morning and you say, hey, one of your colleagues, say, hey, look at me, be reconciled to God. You know, like it's probably not. If you do that, don't wear your OKC community uh, shirt, you know. <laughs> don't, don't represent this church in that way. I, it's hard. It's different in every context. So I'm going to close today by giving you a few encouragements on what I think is proper ministry of reconciliation. When you leave this church and you walk out into your community, into your neighborhood, into your workplaces, into your social circles, what does it look like to carry this proper ministry of reconciliation. Write these down if you have a pen and paper. Number one, eagerly cooperate with people of all faiths or religious preferences. I didn't say agree. Eagerly cooperate with people who have different faiths or religious preferences. We live in a pluralist society. That is multiple groups or principles or sources of authority exist around us. And while our ideologies, our doctrinal stances may not 
align, we can agree on some things. We can join hands across these lines in our pursuit of justice, freedom. Guess what else we can do? This, this could be a radical invitation to you right now. Guess what else we can do with people who have different religious affiliations? We can barbecue. <laughs> we can enroll our children in sports with their children. <gasps> we can do life with them. You know, we don't, we don't have to just hang out with each other. Have you heard Christians are like manure? If all they do is stay together, they stink, but if you spread us out, things grow. Have you heard that before? <laughs> Listen, my son, my son was on a football team. Is that all right? Can I say manure here? My, there's other words that I avoided. Hey, my son was on a football team, a basketball team, and a soccer team. And guess what every single team reflected? Jesus Christ. Great parents, families that leaned into the Christian faith. Many went to our church. My son and I, we broke away from one of the teams. Hey, let's have a ministry together. Let's start a new basketball team. Let's go out there and find a whole lot of families. We don't know what their, their religious affiliation or your faith life look, you know, looks like. And we met all these kids and heard all these stories. And I'm out to lunch with all these dads. And some of these families are coming to our church now. Matter of fact, the guy that's my assistant coach in basketball, he texted me just a minute ago, and another boy on the team and his family are at our church right now. And we've been praying for that family and inviting that family for months, over a year. So get out, barbecue, play soccer. Live life around people, Eager, eagerly cooperate with people of all faiths or religious preferences. Our attitude toward adherence of another religion or no religion at all should be one that is welcoming and warm and hospitable. Number two, our mission must first be an affair of love and not an affair of truth. And I made that exact statement sort of spontaneously last time I was here, and I want to unpack that a little bit. Your front window says, love your city. That's awesome, by the way, to be a part of a church that says, love your city right there on the front. Listen, the question of truth will have to emerge at some point. I am the way and the what? The truth and the life. We know that about Jesus Christ, but we can't just barge in saying that. We've got to earn the right to say that. We've got to get out in our community, in our city, and love others. We, we can't start with truth. Truth judges Truth polarizes, truth divides, truth cannot unite the ununitable. Love can. Love can earn your, your voice in someone's home, in someone's heart. Loving is considering someone's story. Although they may differ in spiritual practices, it's seeing someone with a story, acknowledging someone as a fellow pilgrim on this journey called life. Let me illustrate this. There was a man drowning in the sea, and there was a man in a lifeboat. Here's truth. The man in the lifeboat looks out over the boat and says, we need to talk about your situation. It doesn't look good. Yeah, that's funny. It's stupid, right? But that's what the church does a lot. That's truth. You know what love does? Love reaches out of the boat. 
and grabs the hand of the man in the water and pulls him into the boat. Reaches out and saves dialogue for later. Let's just love one another first and then talk when the Spirit says it's time. Number three and number four require no explanation, but I'd love to talk about these with you sometime. Three is to pursue true and genuine dialogue with people of other faiths or religious affiliations. So it's not just cooperating, it's speaking with, getting to know, opening your home. And number four, as a result of love, as a result of dialogue, then be prepared to share the story of Jesus. That's what earns you the right to carry the ministry of reconciliation into your city as a new creation, as one who is in Christ. So, as an ambassador of Christ's proper ministry of reconciliation, I'd like to leave you with this today. If the gospel, if the gospel is the story of the astounding act of God himself coming down to be a part of our alienated world to endure the full horror of our rebellion against love, to take the whole burden of our guilt and shame, and to lift us up into communion and fellowship with himself, breaking into this self-centered search for our own happiness, shifting the center from the self and its desire onto God and his glory. If that is the gospel, then I challenge you today, the perversion of the gospel is when Christians, the church, takes the good news and says that it's something that we could possess for ourselves. Privatizing this mighty work of grace and talking as if the whole cosmic drama of salvation culminated in the words, for me, for me, as if I'm the only one who needs to be saved. I'm going to ask you today, and I'll call the prayer team forward, please. And they'll be up front for you because there might be some of you here today who are saying, I, I, don't, I don't know the next step. I, help, help me. You are the church. Help me understand what it looks like to take the next step. Christ's reconciling ministry in your own soul. Have you been reconciled to him? Do you believe if you want to speak with someone on the prayer team, receive prayer this morning. As far as what it means to be a new creation, to be in Christ, please come forward for that. But I want to ask you today, if you're willing to say yes, I acknowledge I'm a new creation. I acknowledge I am in Christ. I hear all God's promises for me. But when I leave this church on Sundays and I go back to my daily routine on Mondays, I don't live with a heightened sense of urgency. I don't live with this filter provided by the Holy Spirit to see people around me. I don't live with intentionality to build bridges across faith lines. I haven't opened my living room to anyone ever who I disagree with. If you today will say, I want to take an intentional step, whatever that looks like in your context, I can't tell you because there's hundreds of ways that this could look. But if you want to take an intentional step toward living life as an ambassador of Christ, will you stand up? I want to pray for you. Will you stand up? Maybe right now you know the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart. You would say, I, I, it's not about doing more or being better. It's about being led. 
It's about yielding to the Spirit in your life. It's about seeing the things that God sees, hearing His voice, and living a life of love. Let me pray for you this morning. God, you see this church today. God, you see every life, every testimony, every story, every person, every individual, every family. You see us. And here we are now, God, saying yes to this ministry of reconciliation. That Tim and Christy are not the only ministers of OKC Community Church. This is a shared ministry of the entire body. And today, God, we say yes to this ministry. We want to go out into our day tomorrow, even this afternoon. And we want to live with intentionality to love people who may differ from us. Help us to give off the aroma of Christ's love and not judgmental attitudes, hypocrisy. God, help us. We want to represent you as best as we can. We don't want to be the reason that someone says no to the gospel. So give us this ministry to a greater extent than we had it this morning. Give us boldness. Give us courage. God, we want to go out into our city and we want to serve with the strength that you provide. We want to go into our city speaking as if we're sharing the very utterances of the Father's heart. Because when we do, empowered by your spirit, when we do, Christ Jesus is glorified forever and ever. God, we thank you for ministering to our hearts today through your spirit, through your word. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.